G'day, this is Tim Power, host of Time to Talk. Today, you're going to hear from Alexander. Alexander is a 31-year-old man from Norway who previously underwent hormone therapy and fairly radical surgery to become a woman. He now says that both the surgery and the hormone therapy were mistakes. He has regret. And although he continues to vehemently stand up for the rights of all trans people, he has a word of caution, especially for young people who are thinking about making efforts to change their sex. Alexander has now undergone detransition. He's given up the hormone therapy and, as for the surgery, well, that's something he describes as a mutilation that's difficult to undo. Alexander wants you to hear his story. You're listening to Time to Talk. Absolutely. Now, is it Alexander yeah. or can I call you Alex? What do you prefer? Um, you know, usually I prefer Alexander, but it's uh, really up to you. If, you uh, if you're in a hurry, you want to say Alex, that's great. You know, it shortens the time it, it takes to pronounce the word. It would save us microseconds throughout the, the course of the podcast if I could call you Alex. But no, Alexander, I'm more than happy with Alexander. It's really lovely to meet you, mate. Right. Thank you for being on the show. Likewise. You're in Norway. I understand you're getting unbelievably cold temperatures at the moment. Is that true? Uh, no, you know what? It's kind of nice right now. Like... We had sub one, sub two degrees uh, at worst, but just a few weeks back we had like sub thirty here in, here in Oslo. Um, Is that Celsius? Yes, yeah, Celsius. Um, I'm not sure how that translates to Fahrenheit. No, no, no. We use Celsius as well. We're normal. We're not American okay. um, in Australia. Uh, can I just say? Um, did you say yeah. negative thirty degrees Celsius? Yeah. Good grief. That's unbelievable. But you know what? I'm really excited about Norway because you know what you did for me on a very personal level? There was this doomsday scenario with Tesla cars, and I drive a Tesla, that all electric cars were going to never be able to withstand those sorts of extreme temperatures. But what's come out from your recent sub-temperatures since the beginning of January is that actually they – are less affected than your traditional fuel cars. So thank you, Norway, for proving that point. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, t- Tesla cars are doing great in those temperatures from um, what I've noticed. There we go. Thanks, Norway. Hey, how old are you, um, Alexander? Uh, how old am I? I'm, uh, I'll be 31 in uh, two weeks. Alexander, you transitioned from male to female in 2012 and then you detransitioned in 2016 you know i never transitioned uh into a female i would say i was never a female in the first place i was i was always male uh that is not something i can change i could say you know i lived as a trans woman for a couple of years but and again, I wouldn't even say that because honestly, I don't think I ever was a trans woman. I think all I ever was was a confused guy. But you did take 
HRT and you did have surgery. Yeah. So you went through the steps that a lay person like me would think you're going to take if you are transitioning, right? You went through those steps? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I went through all those, well, all, almost all of those um, typical transitioning steps of course but um you know i don't i don't think there was ever a point where i was really thinking that uh there was um, incongruence between uh, my sex and gender um it's more correct to say that i just felt like i wasn't good enough to be a guy and wow. because i grew up in a pretty homophobic and sexist environment um you know there was a part of me who just considered women are something below men so if you're not good enough to be a man what should you be then a woman and yes of course it's a very sexist uh, perspective and i didn't i no longer think like that by any means but that's what I thought back then. And because I grew up in this homophobic environment and I'm a, I'm a gay person myself, but there was just no way I could ever accept myself as, a, as gay. And I buried it, it so deep down. Um, and transitioning just became one of the ways to uh, keep me in closets. And I hated my genitals because I never asked uh, to have them in the first place. And, you know, eventually I came to this conclusion that the, the fact that I, I was and am homosexual and absolutely hated that throughout most of my life absolutely contributed to the fact that I would hate a penis, not just other men's penises, but also, also my own. Um, I would state vocally quite a lot how much I hate penises and how much I do not want to have a penis. And uh, considered that combined with the fact that uh, I felt like I wasn't good enough to be a man and I just didn't feel like I had a lot in common with men uh, where I grew up because I, I wasn't into sports I wasn't into that type of uh, behavior they were exuding. And it just felt like, uh, you know, the difference between heaven and earth, between me and those guys. And I was just, you know, wondering, was I meant to be born a guy? How far does it stem back this loathing of yourself? Did it manifest in teenage years or does it stem back even further? Uh, well, if we're talking this um, corporeal anxiety, um, it started quite early. We're talking three years old and yeah, mostly to do with the memories of a funeral. Um, it's a very early memory of mine, actually. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, the, the fact that your your genitals um, have this function of sort of prolonging your existence by passing your genes, right? Like, well, your body dies, your consciousness obviously goes away, but your genes live on, you know, you pass them by to the next generation. And I think there's something, or at least I used to think, um, I'm not there anymore, but I found something very deeply uh, disturbing about it. And, you know... Um, 
in some way I, w- I wasn't wrong. There is definitely a, a disturbing element uh, to that phenomenon. It's no weird that a lot of us, you know, feel a, a little bit uneasy about our existence and mortality and death. Uh, this, you know, those feelings, those anxieties, I think they're valid in many ways. From that young age, were you already behaving in ways that would suggest that you were struggling with who you were? Uh, no, and I don't think I was struggling with my identity at that point by any means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just had this intense anxiety and panic attacks. And my parents were aware of that because I would wake up in the middle of the night uh, screaming and crying and saying, you know, I don't want to die. I don't. I don't want to get old. And the, the thing about death and funerals that I misunderstood as a child uh, is that I genuinely thought that it's not that people die, but that the society just decides. You know what? You're too old to be allowed to be walking around. We need to lock you up in the coffin and bury you. So mm-hmm. in my mind, I had this um, vision of myself as an old man trying to crawl my way out of a coffin, and. Uh, when I claw my way out of it, when I manage to open it, there's the soil coming in and I get suffocated and I would wake up screaming and crying. Um, and it, it messed up my mind, to be, to be honest. That's why I think we should be uh, very careful with what we are exposing uh, our kids to. And mm. also, you know how kids can easily misunderstand a lot of things can i take you back to when you were having those nightmares and those anxiety attacks how did your parents respond to you uh, they tried to calm me down uh obviously i think they they were very young as parents uh there, there were still teenagers when i uh when when my mom got pregnant and when I was born. And, you know, uh, I think they did the best they could, to be honest. But what do you remember about how they responded? You know, some of the arguments they used that it's it's still a long time till I'm going to get old or till I'm going to die. But I didn't care about that, right? Because, well, it doesn't... So what that it's a long time? It's going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, or um, they would tell me the stories of re- like reincarnation and I, I probably had a previous life before this one that after you die you continue living in another form you're being born again and and part of me wanted to believe in that um because that gave you some comfort i mean yeah it's it's eases your anxiety right the funny Mm -hmm. thing is i do believe in that right now actually but for different uh reasons (laughs) as a child you had a fixation with death uh, certainly you had fear of it. How long did it last for? Um, throughout a big part of my life, and uh, it manifested itself in different ways, you know, not just uh, in the form of anxiety and panic attacks like it did early on, but there was also this uh, fascination and obsession uh, later on. Uh, I was quite morbid, actually. I was... Um, 
the sort of things I was looking up on the internet, you know, on like gore websites, and I do, I don't think it's healthy by many any means. I think it's just as bad as pornography, if not worse. How young were you when you started looking up gore sites? Um. Around the time when I was 15, and okay. while I was never really into um, pornography, I think, like, seeing people having sex was always very disturbing to me. It was always freaking me out. So I was I was never seeking pornography, but gore was, for me, what pornography is to a lot of people. For the listeners who don't know, gore sites are authentic, real um, depictions of people dying, sometimes being tortured, uh, set alight. Certainly a lot of gore sites rely heavily on footage from war, um, but it's it's real life. It's not fictitious. Porn is obviously uh, often set up. Gore is not. Do you remember what sensation you would get as a teenager, around the age of 15, you said, when you would watch depictions of gore and death? <clears throat> yeah, I think at first uh, it was therapeutic in a way because for someone who um, was thinking a lot about death throughout my childhood, which I don't think most kids should be doing, um, you know, I think there's um, this possibility to uh, face it that can absolutely be therapeutic, but it was also a gateway to this addiction of sorts. What were you like as, as, a, as a child growing up in terms of play? Um, I wasn't into feminine things at all. Um, never, actually. Even, even when I was a trans woman, I wasn't into uh, particularly feminine stuff. Like, I, I never did makeup or... Uh, wear dresses or anything like that um as a kid i uh, li- i like to play with mostly dinosaurs and stuffed animals i, I loved animals and dinosaurs that yeah well dinosaurs are types of animals uh, obviously um you know at the same time also i didn't like cars i never had any interest in cars or vehicles but yeah i, I loved uh, mostly uh dinosaurs and i had some action figures as well and most of the time the way i was playing was by uh creating films in my head and I would use my toys as actors to play uh, in my films. And later on in my teenage years, I get into screenwriting. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at some point, if I had the opportunity to make a uh, film, um, sort of psychological horror in the style of um, Jacob's Ladder, uh, that would be my biggest dream come true, obviously. But if I ever get there, well, that's a different question. <laughs> Just the whole concept of play, whether it's feminine or masculine, who cares? Isn't it beautiful the way kids use their imagination as they play when they're young? I just think it's incredible. I loved hearing what you just told me then. Can you take us back to the point in your life where you started considering transitioning from man to woman by 
by starting uh, hormone therapy and by completing surgeries. How old were you when you started having these thoughts? Um, that was also around the time when I was 15. It was mostly um, the result of bullying. Uh, you know, I was always bullied for being smaller than most men, uh, for not being man enough. Uh, and, you know, I was thinking, I'll skip all that if I'll live as a girl. Like, if I, if I could do that, I wouldn't be bullied. I probably would be more accepted. Um, and it was that thought that mostly drove it at that point. Would it be fair to say that these thoughts came from a place of desperation? Because you've told me that you were made to feel like you weren't good enough to be a man. If you became a woman, would you all of a sudden have their desire? Um, you know, I like the way you put it, um, like desperation, right? And I think um, I was psychologically broken at that point because of bullying and starting thinking, what can I do to be accepted into this society for who I am? And I'm like, uh, well, I don't live up to those social expectations uh, of men. So perhaps it will be easier for me to be a woman. Mm. right? And it's not like I wanted to be a trans woman by any means. Uh, that idea didn't appeal to me at all. I wanted to be a born woman. Wow. You wanted something that was impossible, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, to me, so far, there's logic. It makes sense. You're, you're being tormented. You're being bullied. You want to fit in. You want acceptance. And you're looking at probably many different ways about how that can happen. One of them is maybe if I was a woman. How do you actually take that from a thought into reality, though, do you, who's your first stop? Are you talking to your parents first? Are you going to a doctor first? Are you talking to a psychologist? How does it progress? Um, I mean, uh, my parents didn't take it easy at all. <laughs> um, it's pretty difficult to um, get treatment in Norway or at least it was at the time. Um, things are changing here. But uh, generally speaking, it's a very long process to get hormones here. Let, let me make this point. There's only one hospital in all of Norway that treats uh, patients with circuit gender dysphoria. And to, to even get uh, is quite a challenge. And I never got... Uh, I never even got to talk to a psychologist um, because I was denied every time my doctor tried to send me to talk to a psychologist. Um, I didn't actually get to talk to any shrink until 2021, which was long after I detransitioned. Please help me out here. In Norway, you managed to transition without ever talking to a psychologist? Well, yeah, correct, at least at the time. Um, I just found a sexologist uh, abroad. Okay, so tell us about this. 
Yeah, the USA sexologist in Poland, uh, Poland, I found that he uh, prescribed the um, hormones and uh, testosterone blockers after just five days. We had uh, two consultations and uh, just filled out some psychological tests and I had my uh, blood tests done. Uh, yeah. So you go over and he prescribes you all this stuff with very limited... Uh, assessment by the sound of it um, and how long are you on this treatment well let's start there how long are you on that treatment and what do you experience what sensations what biological changes do you experience mm. so i was i was an estrogen from uh, 2012 to 2014 some of the of the first changes you uh, notice is uh, the way your skin feels mm-hmm just changes in your skin, um, changes in your hair as well. And you're like, you know what? There are some things about estrogen that I miss. Like, my skin was the healthiest it ever was. And uh, I always had skin issues in my entire life. Uh, and all of that was resolved when I was an estrogen. And uh, I was still looking, you know, very young and twinkish, uh, 19. So uh, testosterone certainly, I mean, sorry, estrogen um, certainly softened my uh, facial features uh, considerably. And uh, yeah, and there's a fat redistribution, like right where your body is likely to store fat. And um, Estrogen did some long-term damage there for me because even even 10 years later, and I haven't been on estrogen now for um, nine, nine and a half years, actually, um, and my body still stores uh, this fat in my thighs that, you know, even... When you lose weight, you exercise, you know, it stays there. It just doesn't mm. go away at all. The estrogen that you're on and the testosterone blockers, does that mean you develop breasts as well? Um, only slightly. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't have them removed because uh, they don't bother me. It just looks like I have tiny man boobs. Right. And... You know, it's okay. Like, I'm. Am I willing to go through another surgery just to get those removed to have a yeah, flat chest? Yeah. Like, no, it's almost flat anyway. So around 2012, you start this series of treatment. When do you start considering surgery, which I would have thought is another big decision. I could be wrong about that. Maybe it's a very natural progression, but to me that would be another big decision. And what surgery are you starting to consider in this period of time? Uh, So the only surgery I had uh, was the bottom surgery, a very, very minor (laughs) surgery, mind you. I don't understand what Um, bottom surgery is. Yeah, it's, um, well, in my case, it was penile inversion with scrotal graft. 
And what that means is, well, I don't know how graphic you want me to get. But I need you to be as specific as possible. <laughs> because okay, honestly, so can I just say, Alexander, to, to make sure that you understand why, it's not voyeuristic. Mm. I'm not asking for that no. reason. I think there are so mm. many misconceptions out there that the more detail yeah, you can give us, absolutely. the more we understand. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I've made a um, video on my YouTube channel specifically about uh, um, what those surgeries actually do, as well as sexual function after the surgeries, because a lot of people think that your genitals are being removed and that uh, someone drills a hole there and, uh, and that you're just unable to have sex or have an orgasm. And there's a lot of myths surrounding... So what's the um, truth then? What happened to you? Well, they do remove your testicles and um, they remove most of the erectile tissue in, in uh, your penis. But still, the same material that your penis and scrotum is made of is being used to make this fake vulva, as well as um, the so-called vaginal cavity, or artificial cavity, like I call it. But it's, it's still a penis. I still have a penis. It's just uh, mutilated. But it still works like a penis. Um... It works just like it did before. It still uh, ejaculates because, and it's something a lot of people don't know actually, but most of that ejaculate fluid uh, that your body is producing is not made in your testicles, it is made in your prostate. And a small, small portion of that, and that's the sperm cells, get absorbed into the liquid directly from the testicles. So, while, uh, yeah, I'm still ejaculating, obviously, uh, I wouldn't be able to impregnate anyone with that. You have a one-off surgery. During that surgery, they remove your testicles and you called it inversion. So basically they they take your penis and, and somehow make it into a vulva. Well, yeah, yeah. And the cavity, the cavity itself, it's, uh, it's this, the skin and um, on your penis that the tunnel or the cavity is made of so it's it's stretched there but uh, there's a lot of risk involved with that because uh, you know you have to uh, dilate which is a process where you have to insert this plastic dildo looking thing in there every single day, like two, three times a day for 30 minutes or so. Um, After the to surgery, stop right? it from locking, closing, you know. Right. Yeah, and what happens if that closes, if you, you have increased risk for developing injuries, especially with uh, internal hair growing in there, and, and that's, that's the thing, right? They remove your hair with laser, uh, before the surgery, but you know, I had my facial hair removed with uh, my laser, with with the laser back in 2012, and I still have some facial hair after three treatments, mm -hmm. and so after just one treatment, there's still a lot of hair left, and when they're using the skin from your scrotum to make this cavity. You have internal hair 
Right. And now just think about it, what it means, right? The risk of um, potential infections you can develop. And mm. when if it closes, it usually closes in the middle. So you sort of end up with this bubble uh, inside your body where all sorts of bacteria can gather. And um, I haven't been dilating f- since 2014. I gave up on it very early. And I was like, you know what? I don't care what happens. I just, I'm not doing it. And I'm, and while I wouldn't recommend those surgeries to anyone, all I say is that, well, if you're considering, really, really considering it, uh, get one that just creates the external aesthetics, not the internal cavity. Um, because that can lead to more complications and that can kill your sex life. You uh, might be unable to have either vaginal or anal intercourse or you won't be able to enjoy either. Mm. Especially um, when your prostate is also being moved during the surgery. And now if you're unable to reach your prostate through the artificial cavity that is, was, is being created because it's too tight or it closes, well, now you can't reach it through your anus either because it's not there anymore. It has been moved to... Um, create better experience for um, vaginal intercourse, if we can call it that. But mm. f- from what I've seen, a lot of trans women have problems with that, you know, ach- achieving that. And um, it's a big issue that we need to talk about. Alexander, I'm going to rewind just a little bit. How informed were you before you underwent this surgery? Yeah. I remember this conversation I had with my mom when I first started on estrogen where she told me to get the surgery um, most, mostly because she said, well, if you want to be a girl, why not go all the way? Like, mm. why be this in the middle thing? Mm. And um, and I know a lot of people would probably criticize her for what she said, but, you know, I think she was coming from uh, good intentions there. Tell me, during this period of time where you're taking the treatments and starting to consider the surgery, would it be fair to say that the whole time, deep within you, you truly knew that you were just simply a gay man? You know, that is not something I started to think about until after I detransitioned, actually. Um, But, I mean, yeah, signs were there. Like, why was I so obsessed with guys more than uh, a straight dude would be? Uh, Like, some actors and things like that. In a way that was sort of abnormal, why I would look at the pictures of men. And... I dismissed that completely, as if, well, there's nothing gay about it, there's nothing sexual about it, and and I was I was in a um, relationship with a guy when I was living as a trans woman, uh, and I think it sort of allowed me to explore that because hey, I'm not gay, 
Like, I, I'm straight in this scenario, right? And I, I was born in, uh, in Poland in a small town that was very homophobic. And you would hear things like gay people are disgusting. Gay people don't deserve to live. Uh, if I see a fag, I'll beat him up, you know? And when you hear things like that, that is not something you want to associate yourself with. Obviously, uh, so there was no way I could um, just think to myself, "Hey, you know what? I'm gay." Thank you for helping me understand that. I want to take you back now to the surgery. Is it the case that as you're adjusting to post-surgery life, that you finally received that acceptance and admiration from men? Were you looking? like a woman and were you starting to feel like you fit in that you were accepted um well you know a surgery had nothing to do with that because that started after hormones and i was getting quite a lot of attention from men and i can't say i liked it you know um sure there's this expectation oh if you like men then you're probably going to enjoy this sort of attention well you know, heterosexual women get a lot of unwanted attention from men. And I know exactly where it's coming from because I experienced it and I know just how disgusting some men can be. I was actually sexually assaulted at the time when I was still living as a trans woman. I experienced things like catcalling. So there's a lot of unwanted attention. And there was a time where part of me was actually really hating men for that. Uh, you know, you can think this fe- f- man-hating feminist, but like that—that w- that was me, you know. And I—I I understand where uh, where it's coming from, in a, in a way. But honestly, uh, the the moment I detransitioned. I started feeling shame for the fact that I was with a guy while I was living as a trans woman because I was thinking, I'm a man, and if I did that, what does that make me gay? So you were still wrestling, even as you de- detransitioned, you were yes. still wrestling with this. Well, not you're not wrestling at all. You were completely disgusted by the concept that you were gay, still. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely, and it must have been so hard and, for you, Alexander. So hard. Mm, yeah, and you know, even uh, and it's oh, uh, l- let me tell you where did it come from. Well, first of all, I wanted to appear straight, obviously, and second of all, there was also this uh, thing that when, when I was in middle school. I was always told that I would never get a girlfriend. A guy like me could never get a girlfriend. So there's this part of you that wants to prove something. It's like, yeah, watch me. Um, and it was mostly just how will society see me if I have a girlfriend? You know, it's about status, sort of. And it's really stupid, if you ask me right now. I think it's really, really stupid. But that's that's what I cared about. Like, Will I be seen more as a guy 
if I do that. And so I was pushing myself to dating women when I really wasn't interested. And there were instances where I would date a guy and I was like, you know what, I'm enjoying this. But I can't be enjoying it because I'm not gay. And then I would just drop it altogether and uh, uh, you know, <laughs> and dump them. <laughs> and there was another fear associated with um, dating guys. And that is, well, if we were to have sex, they can injure me because uh, I had really bad complications from the surgery. I'm unable to have penetrative sex. I had a lot of bleeding over the years and pain. Eventually, uh, and it wasn't until half a year ago, that I actually came to terms with my sexuality. It's like, okay, you know what? There's no running around from that. Uh, first, I was in denial for so long. Like, no, I'm straight, I'm straight. Those um, thoughts I have about men and um, penises, it's all nonsense. It's a nonsense, I'm straight. And then there was this stage where I was like, you know what? I'm bi, but I'm dating women exclusively. I'm not dating men. And then there was this um, phase where I was like, I'm straight until I'm horny. And eventually I am in this phase like, you know what? I'm gay and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's at that point in my life when for the first time I could actually say, you know what? I like being a man. And I think that's the thing that was missing. Why I wasn't able to connect to manhood is because I wasn't able to relate to heterosexuality. And that's the reason that made me feel like I wasn't a man. Because even after I detransitioned, I, it's not like I felt like I was a man. It's just that I didn't want to be a trans woman. I didn't want to be a woman at all. I didn't identify with that. But I didn't really identify with masculinity or being a man either. So I was like this mm. thing in the middle. And a, a lot of people would, in my case, would choose to identify as non-binary. And in many ways, I think that non-binary identities are can be healthy. I think it's better if someone identifies as non-binary and doesn't do those permanent changes to their body than going all the way in. I think we need those... Um, alternatives there even if there is no biological basis to think that there's more um, genders than just two i think those categories are important specifically to stop people from going all the way in um, when i finally accepted myself as a gay man i'm i've started thinking you know what i love being a man I absolutely love being a man and it's the first time in my life that i'm uh, able to say it well i'm so so happy for you that you can and it does sound to me just as an impartial as an impartial listener to your story that man equaled heterosexual to you for so long the controversial psychologist jordan peterson he says in his in his experience and actually i think he might refer to some studies too i'd have to go back that the vast majority of trans people are actually gay and haven't accepted that well 
considering that I'm myself am coming from that experience, um, I have seen it firsthand, right? So yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of people who struggle with that. And I think uh, those people like me need more help with accepting our sexuality first and foremost, rather than um, transitioning. And I think it's important to be aware of that. But at the same time, you know, I don't also come from this position that, oh, no one should ever transition. Like, I have nothing against uh, trans people. And I have I have good friends who are trans. And, you know, it's cool. Like, um, I will call people their preferred pronouns. My goal is not to... Uh, demonize trans people or to stop them from transitioning i just think we need to have this more healthy and realistic approach to um to this issue at what point did you start to regret the bottom surgery um well i regretted bottom surgery um two days later Mm. Yeah, but you know, I think there's a big difference between um, regretting the surgery and regretting transitioning. Uh, and you know, even trans people who don't detransition can still regret the surgery, either because you know uh, complications yes. or. Uh, lack of sexual function, inability to experience orgasm, or even how it looks. There's a lot of reason why people can regret those surgeries uh, without, you know, regretting the transition as a whole. Absolutely. I, I understand that. And Alexander, you've spoken quite a few times in this conversation about hating your genitals as you as you were growing up. If If you had the magic wand, are you... I don't want to be crass about it, but are you wanting your testicles back, your penis back? Uh, what What is it, if you could, uh, that you'd return well, to? Well, if I had a magic wand, I would want my wand back, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're coming to a close. In summary, you're not um, on testosterone now, you're not on estrogen, you're not taking anything. Are you feeling more like yourself than you ever have in your life before? Um, this last year, definitely. Yeah, I also have been at my happiest in the last year. Good man. I'm so pleased yeah, for you. And it took me a long time to get here. I am in a uh, relationship with a guy right now. And we both... Congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, we both uh, want you know a lot a long life uh, partnership or marriage so uh that's that's perfect and i was uh, we've met a couple of years ago the first time actually so so it's going really well yeah what would you like people to learn from your lived experience alexander what i've noticed about you if you don't mind me saying is you've you're not preachy at all you can, uh, you've just simply shared with us what your experience was like and how this has been for you. But at no point have you said, so therefore what I've learned is that this group of people are in denial or this shouldn't happen. 
you're still very accepting of everybody has individual choice. If there was a lesson to take from your story, though, what would you hope people take? Well, to really take your time and truly examine um, your feelings around this because, you know, yeah, you may be you may be right, and perhaps transitioning is the right choice for you. But you know, maybe there's something else there. Um, could it be some traumas that caused you to be there? Could this be this denial of your own homosexuality, among many other things? I'm also thinking of um, you know, young women who um, have had some really bad experience with assault who wish to escape their womanhood i think we really need a society um well for, first of all that doesn't really uh shame people for not fitting into gender stereotypes or their assigned gender roles i think that is partially what's what's causing this should children be allowed to begin hormone treatment, testosterone treatment, or have surgery? Um, you know, I'm definitely pro uh, waiting uh, till you're an adult. I've, I'm specifically um, against the use of hormone blockers um, in kids uh, for several reasons, really. But I think... Uh, you know, part of it is that you deny uh, your kid to naturally develop their sexuality, that puberty can give them, you know, that opportunity. Um, well, if in their in this phase where like they're not sure if they want to transition or not, you know, I think developing their sexuality can be helpful there because they might find out that they're gay and uh, might not have a need to transition after that. But by blocking those natural hormones, you are denying them this opportunity. And then there's, you know, all the side effects of hormone blockers. We are putting kids on a path of medicalization from a very young age. And the lifelong use of those meds is causing health concerns. Um... I have talked to numerous trans people who had to eventually stop taking those hormones because it was threatening their health or even their life. Um, regarding surgeries, I don't think anyone should be performing any surgery uh, on a minor, and that is, well, anyone under the age of 18. Alexander, I have really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome, and uh, thank you so much for having me on. You're listening to Time to Talk. <laughs>